Um, oh, uh, no cursing? Um, you know. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> to make you <laughs> Hello. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Reconciled Life, a podcast that explores racial reconciliation through the lens of interracial marriage. Yes, very good. <laughs> we have some practice. <laughs> yes. So today we have the hunters for you, Ray and Christine. They are a couple that I have known since my wee days as a lad. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and the accent is back, everybody. Uh, just, uh, I have known them since high school. Uh, although Ray and Christine are married, I went to prom with Christine. So Really? I that did. you're going to brag about that with your wife sitting right here? I did that. We were literally prob. Anyway, wow, this is payback. Yeah, saucy. It sure is. I met Ray and Christine um, when we were dating. So y'all have already met Tony and Sarah Robinson, and then Ray and Christine, and then us are all interracial. And so I remember that something that stuck out to me. One like triple date in particular that we were all on and just we did get some looks because we were three interracial couples hanging out and as you'll be able to tell Ray and Christine are just as funny we (laughs) are definitely the least funny of the trio so yeah it's sad that was okay we're real dependable (laughs) (laughs) nobody wants to be the dependable one we are anyway this is not our therapy session this is an introduction maybe it should be Uh, All that to say, Ray and Christine have a lot of wisdom. Yes. Um, They are fun and funny, but they're also very thoughtful. And so I think they have a great insight into even something I didn't totally know. They, what happens in your marriage when you don't really talk about race Mm -hmm. uh, and you just assume. Yeah. And so this was not something that was necessarily easy for them. They had to navigate the idea of racial reconciliation within their marriage. Yeah, which is really powerful. And I think even me listening to it back, I was struck with how vulnerable they were uh, with us, which I felt very honored to be part of that conversation with them. And there was a lot of humility in what they shared, but so much wisdom. I mean, every answer after, I remember after we got off talking with them, I sat down with Aaron and Ray and Christine, I mean this as a compliment, but I sat down and was like, I forget how intelligent they are um, just because they're our friends and we go back forever. But just the humility wrapped in the intelligence and their thoughtfulness of answers is a very, I think, enlightening episode and thought-provoking episode. And since this is The Reconciled Life, we're using marriage as a way to sort of point to racial reconciliation. What a great picture they provide in that you know, there were parts of their marriage that were strained yeah. and they had to come to a point where they sort of became reunited yeah. in a way. Yeah. Uh, and what a picture for what we're saying racial reconciliation needs to do. Yeah. And so we see it in their marriage with the hope of that is what the world as a whole can do. Yeah. So all that to say, take a listen to <laughs> The Hunters. We have known you guys for a long, long time, Uh, but for listeners that don't, will you please introduce yourselves, let people know how you racially or ethnically identify, and a little bit about how you met. Uh, Sure, I guess I got the finger point to go first, so (laughs) so I'm going to (laughs) go. I'm Christine. I am um, Iranian. Both of my parents um, were... uh, born and raised in Iran and um, came over. But this is a complicated question for me because I check that I am white on every single sort of exam, census type of thing, so. So I'm Ray, Uh, as Christine said, we met each other in high school. Uh, Aaron was so kind to invite me to a Bible study. Um, Met Christine quickly realized she was the loudest girl in the room. <laughs> Made an, an active effort to avoid her. Uh, that didn't work out too well. And here we are today. So, yeah. I didn't know that y'all had, like, because Aaron thought I was a snob at the Bible study that we met at. So I didn't know y'all also had the, like, 
Oh, sparks did not yeah. fly initially. Oh no. <laughs> I will just say this though, because Ray and Christine had their class right before Christine would come to choir. Yes. She would always talk about Ray in class <laughs> and what she would do to mess with him and how uh, she would bother him and talk to oh, him. Oh, she slapped the mess out of him. Hey, hey, hey. First of all, that's not really what happened. <laughs> We had to be broken up in the class. Ray, and actually, it was a soft hit. We had to be broken up. <laughs> the, not, that was not the soft hit. Anyway, he did ask me to be his partner in the class, and that's how we really became friends. Um, because, as he said, he hoped to never see me. And I said, as you better, whenever you see me in the hall, I'm going to say hello, and you better say hi back. And um, anyway, now I'm bothering him till the end. <laughs> Uh, where are you guys now and what are you doing? We are living, uh, so we, have, we grew up in the Houston area, but now we are living in the Chicago area. And um, we moved out here a couple of years ago. Uh, Ray started medical school out here. And so we moved out um, for his school and, um, and I am working remotely. I have been for the past eight years uh, for a software company that's based out of New York. So something that's always interesting for me um, is just hearing about other people's journeys on that road of being passionate about racial reconciliation and racial issues in general. Uh, but I also know that that might look different because I am a white woman. And so my journey is much shorter uh, than I know a lot of people that I'm surrounded by. But what would you say for y'all? Have you always been passionate about racial issues? What has sparked this passion if it wasn't something that you grew up with? Um, what does that, what does that road look like for you? Yeah, so I'd say for us, that road has uh, increased significantly over the last year in just being intentional about um, just race relations in general. I would say, especially with where we grew up, and Aaron can attest to this too, for the, the high school that we went to, it was fairly diverse. I mean, still leaned more white, but I mean, you look around, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to see a very mixed crowd um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I think for me, there was never this I have to make sure to assert my blackness everywhere I go because it was just, it was just, it was comfortable. It was welcomed for the most part. Um, and I think for the longest, I was a bit shielded and insulated to a lot of the hostilities as being a black man. And it wasn't until college when really for me, it started to pick up of seeing, you know, people really treating me differently. Um, and then as far as, as our relationship, um, a lot of the conversations in high school and college were, they just weren't, weren't really a big, a big part of our relationship. And as of late with a lot of things happening with, um, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, with uh, Eric Garner, with Trayvon Martin, like that, um, it picked up a lot of uncomfortable conversations that we thought were resolved for us that have come to a head as of late. So um, I would say, yeah, it's been pretty recent and in how intentional we are with, with talking about race and, and microaggressions and all that stuff. So. Especially with each other. I mean, I think Ray has probably over the last, like he said, from college on been talking about it and yeah. talking with, you know, obviously friends, but it, it weirdly it was not, uh, a major topic in our relationship or in our marriage, um, which is kind of strange to think now because how could it not be? It's part of both of our identities. So yeah. how could we have not been talking about it so intentionally? And I think for myself over the last year, um, you know, that that's really kind of come to the forefront. I had, um, or I would say Ray, honestly had 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 conversations with me and they kind of fell flat like yeah. I really couldn't um even though I I'm generally a very empathetic person my empathy was not reaching in this area in the way that that it normally um does and on, that was really like surprising for me I was like this past year I'm like what what is it like what why I know I have this like I have the skill to be doing this but why is it not being you know 
um, kind of activated here. And, um, and I had a very loving friend that really just kind of encouraged me, said, hey, when you guys are having these conversations, like you, there's a lot of information out there and you kind of need to do your own research as well and, and become um, educated. And I'll say that for, for me, that was, um, it was really small steps, um, but it really helped to bring some intentionality to the conversations that we were having um, at home um, amongst each other and me, maybe me even bringing some of the conversations to the table mm -hmm. rather than Ray trying to like kind of broach them with me to see like how is my wife going to respond and instead I was kind of coming in a way into his world and saying hey I was reading about this like what do you think about it mm -hmm. or I think you know, I've had this perspective after I've read or listened to something, like, what do you think? And it really opened up some doors to understanding, I'd say more of who Ray is as a person, which obviously when you take just some seconds to like be more intentional and really listen, the empathy starts, you know, to kind of be free flowing yeah. um, and happen a little bit more, so. Ray, what? Or did it make a difference having Christine come to you instead of you coming going to Christine? Yeah, so I think I think that's where a lot of the reconciliation really took place. Um, just to to back up for a minute, I think just in in, in college and uh, after graduating, just talking with various friends about race relations, the conversation would would get heated and. Um, Christine would be a part of, well, the non-confrontationalist that she is, Christine would be in the room during the conversation, but <laughs> taking part, I wouldn't actually say that. I was not active. She wasn't active. <laughs> um, observer is at right. best. Um, so it got to the point, though, where those conversations would end with, with those friends, and um, we would get home, and we'd be by ourselves, and one of the first things Christine would say is, well, Ray, can't you just see it their way? Why can't you see it their way? Um, and one day I just told her that really bothered me mm -hmm. because I'm already expected from the outside world to appease to white people and make my blackness less of a threat, yeah, right? Yeah. Why do I have to come home? And one of the first things I hear with, after these heated conversations is, well, why don't you see it their way? And it, for me, it's another form of appeasement. And I think for me, I started to get a little, my heart started to become hardened with that. It's like, man, I can't, I can't come home with this because I'm just getting it at the same place. I'm getting it from the outside world and I come home and I'm getting that too. And that wasn't her heart, right? But that's, that's just how I was interpreting it. Um, and one day, Christine, we, we were talking and, and she, you know, just flat out said, I feel like we're not connecting as much. I feel like we're not going deep. Like I want to have the same conversations with you that you're having with a lot of your friends. I want to have the same, the, the same topics that you guys are talking about. I want to talk about that too. And I just said, do you really? Because I can tell you the, the biggest thing we're talking about now is being black men in America and what that plight means for us. Do you really want to be a part of that conversation? Because anytime it's come up, there's been this, well, why don't you see it their way? Yeah. And so for me, I think for the longest, I just kind of shut that down and said, okay, I've got I've to go to other people to have this conversation. And so I think that was a wake up call for our marriage. Yeah. And then Christine, you know, as she said, she had that conversation with her friend and it took me seeing her do the work outside of, of what had already transpired with our conversations falling flat. It took me seeing her doing that work then coming to me and I said, okay, uh, baby steps, this is progress, this is, this is good, this is healing. And over time, yeah, this, that's where the reconciliation took place. You don't normally think about marriage. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. At least in, like when we've done like panels on like being in an interracial couple, like people just assume we figured it out and it's a big part of our marriage and every day we're, we're discussing and debriefing and all these things. And no, like it's even reconciliation within marriage. You still have to listen and be humble and be willing to do the work. Like you do 
especially for me in the majority, it's like, yeah, like I have to do the work yep. to make up for the fact that I don't have the experiences that he has. But people outside looking in a lot of times just think like, oh yeah, like it's just part of your normal life and it's still something we have to work for. You're married, you've already got it figured it out. Yeah, yeah. Which we all know. You're figuring everything out. Right. Everything. <laughs> this is even more interesting about something you said earlier, Christine, that like you say you are Iranian, but you identify as white. And so Iranian who identifies white married to a black man. <laughs> and, there's a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers there. So can you sort of unpack that? Like what has... How much time do we have? <laughs> why? Yeah. Discovering it. So in my racial um, awareness or reconciliation my marriage, anyway, I've learned so many things um, about that, but then also just really in, in my own, um, in my own life as well. So um, I'm, if you're not Iranian, you may not know that whenever you check boxes on like a test that you take or, you know, the census and all of that, we would check a box or when it says Caucasian or white in parentheses, it kind of says European, Middle Eastern, etc. So I see Middle Eastern, I check the box. That's, that's me, right? Um, and so in a way, um, I get, you know, through that, it was just, I, listen, I'm, I'm white, right? <laughs> like I checked this box, that's what I, I identify with. And that was actually really interesting in our conversations because as we would, like you said, many people think because you're in an interracial relationship, you have it figured out. I have friends that would say like, yeah, but you're also like, not white so wouldn't you even have even more like empathy because you're not like technically part of the the majority and it's like yeah but i actually like this is a weird space for me because i checked the white box so what what do i do you know do with that and that kind of came to a realization a couple years ago we had a friend that um was doing her phd uh, or anyway, an acquaintance, and she was doing a, a focus group for women of color. And um, one of my friends who is a, a black woman invited me to, to join in the focus group. And I was, I'm telling you, shocked to be invited <laughs> to something that was for women of color. That's how like far removed I was from thinking about myself in that context. Wow. And I really was this like so embarrassing actually to think about now, but, but I remember telling Ray, like, why do you think she invited me? Like, I'm, you know, I, anyway, this whole thing about, which in it, my mind, of course, she's a woman of color, but yeah. I had to pull her straight, like, wait, are you, what do you think you are? <laughs> um, and so anyway, so that kind of started this uh, little uh, thinking on my own, like, why do I, you know, identify in this way? And um, even just recently, I asked one of my friends who's Iranian, I said, what do you check on the box? And she said, she checked white for so long and only just recently when she, um, when her kids started having to do it, that she switched to putting other and, um, you know, kind of writing, writing something in. And so, um, through some of my own, you know, kind of research and following over the last couple of, of months, um, one of the posts that I saw was, uh, it was Iranians for Black Lives. And so I was reading and it was, it was just talking about how Iranians can be allies um, for Black Lives. And one of the links that it talked about was, um, or kind of some sublinks had two articles that resonated with me was one was literally called our Iranians people of color. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so this is not just me. <laughs> it's um, me. <laughs> more. And then another one was around um, the, the Aryan myth. So when I did a little bit of research and honestly, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert and I'm doing a lot more reading in this area, but there is um, apparently some sort of belief that um, there was some kind of passageway or, or European that some Persians kind of went through Europe. And so there's some sort of like Aryan um, connection. That's maybe where, you know, some of the roots, you know, roots of it are. Um, so that's kind of one side of it for me. And then the, the other side is my Iranian 
think even background from the the way that I you know grew up, even my my grandparents had a lot of Western influence. Even while they were living in Iran, my grandpa wanted my dad and all of his brothers and sisters to know English, even while they lived there. Like it was really important to him. So anyway, I think there's kind of a lot of different like influences um, there, and. Um, really interesting space but Ray always like but you're not white and so <laughs> when we started to read about this Aryan myth he was like oh now this kind of makes sense in terms of like that there is some sort of connection like why would you connect white with European and Middle Eastern in this right. like category together so now like when you introduce yourself you said you identify as white do you still I mean, I do, I am Iranian, right? Um, that is, I, I do certainly I identify with that. Um, haven't had to take a test or something where I have to check it, check a box, <laughs> but, you know, probably at this point I would select other and write, you know, that I, that I am Iranian. This whole element of like checking the box, when we were at our previous institution working with college students, we had a couple of biracial students and they would go back to that a lot. And I think for someone who's white, like I don't think about it as yeah. a big deal, but it's just interesting to, to see how something that in my perspective seems so small actually can be such an influential part of just like your sub it sounds like even just your subconscious of like this is who I am and yeah. so for the biracial students it was just an interesting element of like we don't fit in even one box and so where do we go from there that's just another element I guess of my privilege of like I've never had to think about there's yeah. something else other than what just fits in this nice little box and who's creating yeah. that list of the boxes to define who you are yeah like yeah. do you feel like this box is defining who I am yeah. without any context of how I grew up and what influences me. And So we were at your wedding, but you had an Iranian wedding. And the next day, was it? The next day? Yeah. Okay, yeah, the next day, you had your, yeah, traditional American wedding. So there's a kind of twofold, like hearing that your journey of celebrating your Iranian identity like what then drew you to still having an Arabian wedding? Or is that just something that family and culture was a big part of it? Well, one, I think for everyone, as when you're a kid, you just want to be whatever is the norm. So I was not as a child, not that I was, I just felt un, like a little uncomfortable because I was a little, you know, a little bit different. Um, and so I, I probably just didn't, raise a lot of that up in in myself people knew that i was iranian but i just was not so bold you know bold about it but my aunt and then a, a friend of ours family friend had actually uh they got married at my parents house and did an iranian wedding so i had been part of them or, or witnessed it and just really liked the, the traditions as i got older i thought that was something that i really i really wanted to have is to have this iranian wedding and I actually really always pictured it just at my parents' house in a small, you know, small forum. But um, anyway, our families are, are quite big, so we couldn't really all fit, fit in that house. So it, it got a little bit bigger. I loved being able to share that with friends. And as a part of the ceremony, um, we were really lucky my dad did the ceremony and I think did quite a bit of like explaining of what yeah. the tradition is. Cool. It was beautiful bring people in to, to the experience. But I had a friend who kind of jokingly said, like, you're the last person that I thought would have <laughs> you know, an Iranian wedding. And, and I think when that was said, it was just more because it was not part of the central or like the dominant part of me. And this is, again, through a lot of my research or even that post that I had read about Iranians for Black Lives. It's like there is some privilege that actually Iranians can carry because depending on where you're from, um, it's not universal because there's still lots of different kind of skin tones and, and coloring, you know, depending on where you are, but there's um, certain groups that you can blend in. So people really, honestly, most of the time don't know what race or ethnicity I am because some of my features are not as kind of as dark or yeah. as, as kind of whatever people generally think about Middle Eastern. My name is American, so that doesn't, you know, 
and even now with that I've been Christine married, Hunter. Christine Hunter, like that doesn't really tell you anything. <laughs> and so, um, so I think I've also back to kind of the earlier question, but like been able to kind of be in waves of, um, because, because my, it's a little ambiguous. Ray, when you started today, you talked about this sort of awakening about racial issues once you got to college. And yeah. I, that resonates with me. You know, it's like you get out of the bubble and then yeah. you're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> like even Christine, like you just saying, like you recognize that you want that, that wedding, that tradition as you got older. What do you think it is about getting older or experiencing more of the world that makes us want to celebrate our identities more. There's something about, as in elementary school, I think you said it, Christine, where you're like, we just want to be normal, air quotes, normal. Like we want to be what mainstream is, which is depending on where you are, but where we grew up, white. Um, (laughs) And it's not sort of, I guess, those formative years in college where you like try to solidify your identity and you're like, wait, no. And what you just said is not okay. And what you just did is not okay. And listen to yours, how you described it, Ray, and what you just said, Christine, like resonate with how I recognize being in college and even getting through college on the other side and becoming a young professional. You're like, I'm done playing that game. Like, you can't say that to me. You can't do that. And like you have to sort of assert yourself to be who you are and to celebrate who you are. Yeah, I think... So I think it's twofold. One, the world is already seeing you one way, right? And putting you in this box of, of whatever, you are this, right? And so, I don't know, I think a part of, especially as a teenager trying to figure out, you know, identity crisis, one thing that you're not confused about, am I black? Am I white? Like, like you don't ask yourself that question, right? Like, that's not a thing. It's already there. Everyone sees you that way. Everyone treats you that way. But it's also a singular, if you are a singular singular race. Well, that's an interesting thing because a lot of interracial children, children, yeah, I've heard a lot of parents say, well, my child checks off black because Mm -hmm. the world sees them that. We think about that with our kids. We're like, what, how does our biracial son reconcile? Yeah whiteness and his blackness in a world where those two things are literally opposites and both of them are in him. Right. Right. And yeah, so there's that. And then I also just think it's recognizing just how beautiful your culture is and you just wanting more of that. So it's, it's just this, this dichotomy of, of how the world sees me as a black man, whether for good or for bad. And if it's for bad, knowing just how untrue that is with how beautiful my culture is. Right. And it's like, I know so much more of the beauty of my culture. Like I want more of Miles Davis. I want more. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. You walk into your own home and you recognize just how beautiful it is. And as you get older, you don't want to lose that. So you're looking for any and everything that helps keep you there. Yeah, you know? you're getting comfortable, like, in your own skin in yeah. a way, and maybe caring less about what everyone else thinks. And I think that's a different timeline for everyone. Like some people that may happen in their fifties, in their sixties, but for the most part, it's, I think in, for most people, it's probably in some sort of adult years after they've, you know, done some learning. And and I think it's what you said, Aaron is like, at some point you're like, wait, I don't have to accept this. Like, oh, okay. And I think that's even maybe like kind of a, a growth and learning um, just for us probably as we look to the to the next generation, right? Like with kids is that you can have that realization, you know, earlier. I was listening to um, a Brene Brown podcast and she was talking about how, I think about that she's an introvert and like when she travels back, she just kind of needs space for herself. And so... Um, she had told her, she had to miss out on something for her son. And she just was honest with him and said, Hey, like, I just, my energy is low. Or like, I just can't kind of give there. I really need to, you know, be at home. And she said his response was something along the lines like, Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Mm-hmm. And, and it really opened up a conversation with them around how like, Oh, he's an introvert too. And like, when there's like all this family over, 
that's maybe like a really, you know, overwhelming experience. And he may need to like take some time by himself. Um, And just like that realization for me too, was like, there's some things that as a child, you don't necessarily know to ask. I don't, I didn't even know that's a thing. So unless someone is introducing that concept to you in an early age, you just may be unaware. And I think just when you get to college, naturally, you just become more exposed to different things. um, And you kind of start a different learning, but that doesn't mean you can't have that experience when you're younger. I think it's just intentional. Right. Because as we worked with students, we are seeing it younger and younger, which is cool about the protests we're seeing and things like that. There's, there are students and young people that are like, we are done. We want the freedom to be who we are. And that like y'all are earlier than us so yes earlier on i know you guys have alluded to like this past year has been a a lot of learning and growth and everything but what would you say are your like major takeaways so far are there is there anything that has stood out to you both nationally but then also personally how it's changed you what you'll tell your kids about it one day yeah i think um So this year has definitely backed us into a corner, I would say, just as a society in general, right? And I feel like we're getting to see a lot of people's true colors come out, uh, especially with the protests and the rioting. And I don't know, I've just, you know, just going down social media and seeing people that I grew up with and seeing where their true hearts I'm just like, wait, I played basketball with you and went to your house and had lunch and we chatted up and did life together. And this is how you feel. And um, it's some of it is gut riching, you know, and I just on one end, it makes me sad to see that. But I don't know, I would I'd rather know how you really feel than Mm -hmm. than to have this closet racist. I'm encouraged by what I do see from people who genuinely want to partner and be active in uh, true allyship. And that's definitely helped in keeping me from being bitter. Very observant of what my friends are are doing or not doing. Yeah, Yeah, or not doing. I think that's the biggest um, or one of the bigger things this this year for, for me. I mean, like Ray said, this year has just for everyone kind of pushed everyone to their limits and past past their limits so um anytime there's that type of you know pressure you just kind of really see what what you're made of or what you were made of and how you want to you know change um and i i think that's the the biggest thing i think for us you know this year is just kind of having a reckoning you know i'll say for myself like having a reckoning with myself on on so many different you know areas and and certainly this too which is um it's the what you're not saying. And so Ray kind of talked about it earlier, but you know, how many times have I sat in a room in the, in a conversation, but because it was so uncomfortable for me, because I don't like confrontation, I don't like tension. I just, that's, I would love to eliminate it from my life entirely. Um, (laughs) I just sit there, you know, in, in silence and, and really realizing and I didn't really feel like I, ha- I had a voice or what could I really say? And, um, and I don't know that I really had a lot to say before because I hadn't done some of my own work in this area, but really through conversations with Ray, just um, realizing how, how we do all have, you know, a voice, you know, can have a voice in allyship if, if we want to and not. And I've been hearing a lot about not it being a performative thing to, again, check a box. Um, but for it to be, you know, to be meaningful and, um, I wouldn't say that I've personally had like have it all figured out, but I just know that it's just, um, more the start of a journey to be more, you know, intentional and, and look for people that are maybe not able to speak, not to speak on behalf of them necessarily, but how can you create spaces where they can have their own voice, you know, valued. And that could be in the workplace. Like it can be, you know, in your religious circle in your friends, family, you know, all of that. And um, so I think for me, that's one of my takeaways so far this year. 
I have a, a privilege and luxury that I get to have some of those conversations like in my own home, in my own marriage, which is a you know very safe space, but realizing also some people don't have that. And so through some of the allyship, you could be a safe space for someone else that maybe doesn't know how to have that conversation. I love what you said, how you hated confrontation. And so I'm paraphrasing what you said, but basically that idea of like, you maybe even didn't have anything to say because you hadn't done your own research. Mm -hmm. Like the the old phrase, like knowledge is power comes to mind. I think like, I feel like for so many people that we talk to, that is a big part of like, they're afraid to speak up. They don't know what to say. They hate confrontation. Like I know I do. And so, but just hearing you say, well, when you start this journey, like knowledge really is power. And at least I found in my own life, it makes me braver. Like when I feel like I have done the research and I know a little bit, maybe more than I used to, like it does really help embolden you. I feel like to be able to be the ally and to call someone out or to provide another platform for somebody like that's a great action step for people. If you don't know how to speak up, start by learning. Yeah. It's like something wells up inside of you when you've done your research and you just hear something that just plainly isn't true. It wells up inside you and you can't really hold it in. It's like, wait, that that's, that's the boldness right there. That's Mm -hmm. the spark that you needed. So often because we are nervous or feel like we can't speak up. Sometimes it's a power dynamic, but oftentimes like that lack of knowledge is funny that the it gets displaced because the person that is spewing the hate or yeah. uh, talking recklessly is wrong. <laughs> you oh. know, like we're giving, like we're worried about what we're going to say to counteract somebody, but we're like, we know they're wrong. Right. Yes. But yeah. we we give them their space to because we're afraid of being wrong. It's like they're already right. wrong. Count my counter to their argument is definitely going to be more in the right direction <laughs> than they're right. Uh so I like to just offer that to people who are like, Well, I don't know what to say. It's like it'll be better than what they're saying. So just say something. Just say anything that's opposite of what they're saying. And somebody will be like, Yeah. It'll stick. I promise yeah. you. <laughs> There's a fair argument, not fair as in like, fair? I mean, there are a fair amount of people saying that. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's not actually a fair argument. There are people saying, we've seen a lot of white people saying that it's racist to just focus on black oppression or why are we still talking about slavery? Or, There's no systematic racism in this country. Um, <laughs> so how do you counteract that argument? Uh, is there a way to do that in love? Uh, are we past having to do that lovingly? Yeah, I'm past like saying it in love. I'll be honest. I'm, 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 I, I don't I'm do not. well with that just because it's, I've done it for so long and I've, mm-hmm. I've come to realize it's not a one size fit all audience, right? There are, there are some people who you engage in these conversations with who are just out for an intellectual exercise and not out to actually be an ally for your plight. And I am of the opinion, once you realize who those people are, it, it, it is a, you take it upon yourself and your mental health and your peace to say, do I want to further engage in this conversation? And for me, I said, no. <laughs> it, it, is not, it is not worth my peace trying to convince you why my humanity should be worth mm, something. To that point. argument, do we, do we try to divert the conversation when we're talking about breast cancer to talk about other cancers? Do we divert the conversation when we're talking about female trafficking to, to talk about other forms of slavery? Do we divert the conversation when we're talking about child abuse to talk about other forms of, we don't, we don't divert from those conversations because it's uncomfortable, but somehow, some way, when we start talking about race, specifically when it comes to black people, all of a sudden we need to switch the conversation. Why? So no, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm past the love, st- <laughs> the love stage. I think you are willing to have the loving conversation if some of the work has been done. Like Absolutely. If someone's coming to the table saying, hey, I've done some of my research, 
not to have an intellectual debate, but right. I'm really trying to understand you in right. a deeper way that's really like listening. Like if they are coming with yeah. a listening ear, I do think, I know you say you're past the loving stage. I think you're past it in certain contexts, but you, you would you would do the conversation. Well, no, absolutely, but you know who those people are. Exactly, yeah, you do you, identify. As, as you As you engage and have conversations around other things, you know who those people are. Once you see someone doing the work, I mean, yes. let's be honest, our, our BS meter is high. <laughs> Come on, like, you know when someone is BSing you. Yeah. And at that point, I'm not having that conversation. But for the people who, you know who the people yeah. are who, who are doing their work, being honest in that work, and want to further their education by now talking to you. To those people, I am all for it. Absolutely. Yes. One thing that I've learned through this process, because I think I was definitely one of the the schools of thought of like, well, why don't you, why aren't you just endlessly loving and like just sharing your experience, you know, like why aren't you putting yourself out there all the time? Like you could be the one that changes, you know, the perception. And, And that has actually been the case for Ray with people that had different experiences with black men. They met Ray and had a different experience. I know it feels like really weird to even say that, but like, and and it changed their perception. So I know that can be an outcome, but really what I learned or like became aware of over this, this last year is like, that's not the job of every black person. There are people that are called to do anti-racist work or like racial education and, and that work. And that is their calling. It is not the calling of every single person to do that work. And so we just have to release that expectation, you know, to say, oh, I'm going to come to you. Well, why? Like, there also, there are people that that's their calling. Go and find their work and, and do that. Like, you don't have to try and make someone do something for you because it's convenient for you to just go and to have, you know, to have that conversation. So I'm still in the loving stage, um, (laughs) but I'm only in a very early, even having a voice stage. (laughs) But I also think it's very, um, just my awareness also of how much like the the privileges that I can come in and out of the conversation, meaning Mm -hmm. like I can engage in it or I, I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in and of itself is a privilege. I'm always actually interested to hear the other perspective. Like why, why are people so offended by yeah. you know, the, these notions? And I think one of the things that has, that I've been reading, you know, through post is this talk about, you know, privilege. And um, if you are in a majority race, but also didn't have an easy life, it's hard, I think, to identify with saying that you have privilege mm-hmm. because it, it, it wasn't apparent, apparent in like the materialness of your life. Right. And, um, and I think that that's where there's maybe just a real misunderstanding in that it doesn't mean that you were well off yeah financially or even that your home life was roses and and, you know and all of this it's just really that there's not this preconceived notion by the color of your skin and not that that's what racism all is but that you know but the color of your skin did not make your life harder right right i think you really you have to have these one-on-one conversations or where i see reconciliation really happening in any form whether it's around race or other things is when two people are actively listening to each other to Mm -hmm. understand and understand where they're coming from like i could sit across from someone that didn't have the same experience you know that i had and and say okay i can understand like why it's hard for you to maybe agree to this white privilege narrative based on the fact that you didn't have a privilege, you know, like financial upbringing. Like I, I understand why that's hard, but two things can be like, you can also like have not had a privileged upbringing, but also have white privilege. Like they, they, they can be two things like they can exist. It's not one or the other, but we really just like to have, one or the other of anything right Mm -hmm. back to the box that you check or Mm -hmm. whatever we just like for it to be that easy um 
it's just that's just not like no one's life is like that so right. those that haven't had a privileged upbringing i say yes i totally get that now imagine if you were black on top of that yes yes, yes. exactly yeah exactly <laughs> right and a woman yeah right <laughs> like keep adding different yeah. things that'll make it more difficult yeah yeah, yeah. Rave, since you sort of brought it up. The, uh, <laughs> what did I bring up? Yeah. Cancel culture. So like, oh, yeah. the, <laughs> if you're over it, you know, like you're, what's the fine line between just letting it go and canceling somebody? It's a weird thing we are in now because people can come after you for, uh, for things that you've said and yeah. often are done and often uh they're right to do so like it is interesting accountability. that accountability is a thing mm -hmm. but as people of faith as people uh who uh follow jesus mm -hmm. what is that balance of accountability and canceling is there a balance yeah i definitely think there is a balance but I also think that that has to come with some type of initial conversation. If we just cancel out everyone, we are defeating our own goal, right? Because if, if we can't expect to fight this war on racism and expect everybody to play the same role. And so if, if I've got a friend who doesn't understand something, we start out that initial conversation and it doesn't necessarily go the way that I necessarily want it to, but we make progress. Who's to say that another conversation shouldn't take place? Because as those conversations pile up and as the progress keeps going, now all of a sudden, I have a friend who's very much educated in who I am as a black man and can walk alongside me in true allyship and what that looks like, right? But I think just going back to my last point with your, with your last question, our BS meters are hot. Like you can tell when people are, are just looking to play devil's advocate and wanting to press your buttons with certain conversations. And I think for, that's where I think you have to take it upon yourself to say, is this conversation worth my peace and, and engaging in further conversations with? Because at that point for them, where it's just, again, that, that intellectual exercise, like you're actually living it. I'm over here having an empty conversation with someone who doesn't want, really want to walk, walk alongside me while black men and black women who look like me are dying at the hands of cops every day. I need to see some of that work done on your end before you come to me. And then we have that initial conversation and we just keep having it, keep having it, keep having it. We can't just cancel everybody the first time one conversation doesn't go well and then that's it. I don't think you've really read that person right. You can't really read one person right in, in one encounter. It doesn't really work that way because we're all complex, right? Mm -hmm. We all have these layers to us that come out in different forms. You've got to give yourself time to see that person. And until you do that, it's not really fair to cancel people. For someone in the majority who's maybe not as aware or far into this journey, it's easy for white people to not see, like, it really does mean, like, I mean, it is your life. I feel like mental health isn't even totally a good enough description. Like, I remember Aaron saying something to me this past year. We were talking about someone's experiences with racism and because I had wanted to ask more questions, which now I know was not okay. But he confronted me with like, you're asking them about one of the most traumatic experiences yeah. of their life. Like you, yeah. it's a bigger deal than just recounting a story. Right. I think we conflate when a person disagrees as opposed to a person disregarding your humanity. Mm. Mm. Right? Like you can, I am all for healthy debate all day, every day. We can have disagreements, <laughs> right? Me, cool. But, but that is entirely different than dismissing who I am as a black man. When you cross that line, I then need to take it upon myself. Is this worth it? For, for black people, like we're not this monolithic people, right? Like I'll be honest, every time something like this happens on the news, I go into like this, this rude mourning, right? And, and for me, it's, I'm down. I'm going to those like minor depression. And then, 
and then I'm ready to to kind of talk about it a little bit. I'm I have to analyze it, and then I come out of that, and and now I'm ready to talk. Right. So we can't expect every black person to react the same way when stuff like this happens. For the black person who's ready to talk, great. For the black person who's mourning, mourn. Do what you have to do because it is not worth your mental health trying to appease someone just because they need to have this conversation with you right here, right now. No, the stakes are too high mentally for you to just do that carelessly. Biblically, it's there's a season for for all of it. There's a season for us to yeah. there's a season for us to dance. There's a season to fight. You know, all of that. There's a season, and in entering these conversations with people, like the Lord is all about reconciliation. Like that is part of why we're doing this podcast. Part of the beauty of your marriage story and how the Lord has sort of worked that out. Uh, but part of reconciliation is full of someone approaching in humility and somebody accepting that in grace and mm -hmm. both of those have to be present for that reconciliation to start to happen right. but if you know if you are coming demanding something from somebody that's not humility right. and if someone's coming to you humbly and you just want to like get up on their grill because the first time they say something wrong that's not grace filled and so right. like how can those two people uh, reconcile and you yeah. know being like you know, the love of us first when we were sinners. It's like, we weren't perfect when he, when he saved us. And so it's, he has modeled it all for us if we'll look for it. Right. Hunters, we love you guys. We're going to do our fast. Well, do you have anything you want to add oh, yeah, before it. we do our final fast? One thing I would add, if there's anything I could say for just, you know, interracial marriages across the board, like, I don't know, I think maybe you and I fell into this trap of, it's not enough to think that your marriage in and of itself is enough of a statement of how non-racist you are. Just because I'm a black man married to an Iranian woman, I need to search within myself to see if there's any prejudice. Like, just because that, that's there doesn't mean I don't hold any prejudices, right? Just because you are a white person married to a black person doesn't mean that you can't hold any prejudices against black people as, as a culture, as, as, as a people. So I think we've really got to do the work, not assuming that because you're married, you've, you've got it figured out. No, your, your marriage in and of itself is not enough of a statement of how non-racist you are. You have to do the honest work, self-reflection. Are there any prejudices within me that I need to address? My real takeaways this year, um, or just kind of a shift in thinking is, um, you know, the, the word that we probably all grew up with, which is I'm, I'm colorblind. I don't see color, yeah. um, which really just rubs me the wrong way now, you know, and I'm sure I was around it and, and heard it all the time. But as you're doing kind of that own reflection, both in to see if there's anything, um, you know, that you don't love. And, you know, I think there's, oh, yeah. you know, there's a verse, right? Like search me God and take out anything that's really, you know, that's not abuse. So there's definitely a, you know, an element of that, but also to look and see what are some things to celebrate too. And, and that's what Ray and I have talked about recently is like, yeah. there's a lot of kind of soul searching to get out the bad stuff, but also there's just such an opportunity to celebrate the beauty of culture yeah. differences and, and to really like celebrate and appreciate that. And I think that's really what I, you know, I'm excited about, which is to go and, and learn and to celebrate and say, Hey, actually, I, I now know more about you because I know about your culture and I love you even more, you know, for it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's when people really feel seen and, and loved is when you really see them in their fullness, which you can't really see them in their fullness if you cannot see part of their culture um, and what that means because it just so colors but there's so many like Iranian things about me. Uh, my friend sent a, a Persian Jeopardy to me the other day, which like no one on this would get except for me. <laughs> laughing at it all. And, and there's so much fun stuff and rich culture and, and history and all of that. And so um, there's, I just think there's a lot of beauty and, and goodness to come um, out of it too, if we can really mm -hmm. celebrate each other and, and focus on the positive things um, as well as we're doing the learning.
Okay, gang. This is the final five. Rapid fire. Final five. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Okay. Oh, jeez. Okay. Favorite cookie. Oh, chocolate chip. Snickerdoodle. What are you subscribing or unsubscribing to right now? Um, I do love the little pop-up in Gmail that says you haven't opened this thing. <laughs> I'm going to unsubscribe, and I, so I've unsubscribed from a whole lot of mailers. I think I need to receive a message from everyone about their response to COVID. I am subscribing to watching more of Hamilton now that it's on Disney Plus. And I'm just loving some podcasts recently. So that's that's my like treasure in my, in this COVID. Yours are fun. Mine are a bit more boring. I'm subscribing to everything medicine. I mean, I need scrubs. (laughs) I've unsubscribed to like, G star. I don't wear jeans anymore. Right. <laughs> I, I just, I subscribed to new England journal of medicine. <laughs> it's like, it's like what, what? All the medicine is, it is my subscription right now. There's nothing no, like, yeah. Do you want me to I say don't wear like jeans. a I don't wear regular one? Shoes, huh? Do you want me to say a regular one so you feel? No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should know, though, Ray, in the vein of Hamilton, like every time, uh, every, time. every time we watch it, you are our Aaron Burr. We think you remind us of Leslie Odom Jr. So, so much. much. Do you like that at No, I don't. I accept that, though. But we were that. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> She's great. I feel like it's just, I'm seeing you perform on Even stage. Even like y'all's personalities. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. Oh, it's a, we have a whole reasoning on it. We, talk about it. <laughs> we are kind of obsessed. So, <laughs> How many times have you guys watched it on Disney Plus? I usually only once. Because we're moving. And we have children that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I show, well, we have a daughter named Eliza, so. Yeah. <laughs> The Skylar Sisters. She got to watch the Skylar Sisters in the opening number, but I also don't want them to selfishly. I don't want them to ruin it for me, like running away. (laughs) So we can only watch it. That's the true story. (laughs) We can only watch it when they go to bed. So that's awesome. What are you listening to or watching? Okay, when I have the free time, I am watching. Oh, All American. The book. Yes, on the CW. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I can't believe I'm watching a WB show, but CW, it's all good. It's so good. I'm listening to a lot of jazz right now. So classy, Ray. Keeps me calm. I am listening to Brene Brown's podcast, which has been awesome. I'm what am I watching? Um, I'm reading Gilmore Girls for the fifth time. time that's just always on i'm re-watching suits because that's also probably like my second favorite show and i my like secret thing about me is that i love all these like actor interviews behind the scenes Mm. stuff like i just i love it because i just am really interested in any sort of behind the scenes of anything like it doesn't really matter just like how it's made like all those shows like chef's table anything that like gets to like what is actually happening i live for that stuff on a daily basis what's the best part of your day just a normal day best part of my day is my not best but one of my favorite parts is my cup of tea every morning best part of the day seven o'clock p.m it's super nice outside it gets about what high is like 82 in chicago it's like nothing and just going for a walk. It's perfect. What's bringing you joy? Y'all, there's these little nuggets from Trader Joe's. Oh my God. Is Have you good? had them? There's these ice cream. Listen, they're these ice cream nuggets. And it's the perfect little like sample because you, you don't want to eat too many. Yeah. There's like, it's like a little ice cream nugget. Yeah, it's like a, like a ice cream nugget. And you eat like one or two, <laughs> get them from Trader Joe's. It's in this white box. I forgot They're what like the actual name is. Yeah, it's like bonbons or something. I well, promise you, you will become addicted in a healthy way. It's like little nuggets of joy throughout your day. Yes. yes. <laughs> you pop it in, you're good. You don't need a bowl of ice cream, you just need a nugget. The one or one of the things is we found this really nice, like, this is really strange for us. For me to say a forest preserve that we like to go 
and have walks a in. A forest preserve, Aaron. <laughs> Me. I did not. I, I, I'm in a dang forest preserve. It's beautiful. It's not that foresty anyway. It's very it's foresty enough. It's got flies. Okay, people who don't enough. know these two men, they are, they love <laughs> indoors. We love cement. As we love skyscrapers. <laughs> yeah. We love air condition. Yeah. yeah. Give me a pool. That's about it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look at how merit reconciliation right there. Right. <laughs> real time. Exactly. I guess. <laughs> Hunters, thank you so much. So Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. This was fun. Your time and your wisdom, your honesty. You guys are awesome. Telling us about little nuggets of ice cream. Yeah, our nuggets of joy. We're about to go to Trader Joe's. Get some tonight. You can thank me later. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Reconciled Life. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Reconciled Life. And please make sure you subscribe so you can stay up to date with all we have going on. And remember, today is a great day to be a little better and do a little more.